This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Amy Dunphy. Now in the United States... Focus for many people, and indeed in Europe, has turned to next year's presidential election. The campaigning on the Republican side for the party's nomination has already begun. It is, of course, true that Donald Trump, former president, is way ahead of his rivals for that nomination, which hasn't stopped people like Mike Pence and, of course, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, Pence, a former vice president to Trump, they are on the campaign trail. On the other side, it appears to most of us that Joe Biden, the current president, is assured of the Democratic nomination. However, there is one candidate, of course, who may challenge and is challenging Joe Biden for the Democratic nomination, and it's Robert F. Kennedy Jr., the son of the late Robert Kennedy, who was assassinated in 1968 and was a great liberal hope to take that nomination for the Democrats and go on and possibly emulate his brother John F. Kennedy by becoming president. To discuss all of this now, we're joined from Washington by Niall Stanich. Niall is associate editor of The Hill, a very influential and respected newspaper in Washington because it is not like most media outlets in America, both broadcasting and print, committed to either side, but committed to the basic principles of journalism, which is objectivity above all else. Niall, thank you very much for joining us. You wrote a fascinating piece this week about Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who apparently is in the race, which I kind of knew, but I didn't realize, A, what he believes in, and B, how dangerous he could be to Joe Biden if he goes much further. Tell us about Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who, of course, many people will remember his father with great fondness. They certainly will, and his father was himself a very major political figure in this country, and the assassination of the senior Robert F. Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, was one of the pivotal moments in uh, American political history. To make a long story short, Bobby Kennedy, the father, 
had inspired a lot of liberal hopes in 1968, was assassinated. And ultimately, that presidential election was won by Richard Nixon, the Republican, and uh, American history proceeded from there. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. at one point was quite a respected environmental lawyer and has been an environmentalist all his life. The more troublesome area of his record is he is an anti-vaxxer, although now he is trying to push back against that label, but he has been opposed or at least deeply, deeply skeptical of vaccines for many years now, preceding, I should point out, the COVID pandemic. It's not an anti-COVID vaccine-specific position. Yes, He believes that vaccines generally are dangerous, and he has at times, for example, ventilated the long-debunked idea that vaccines cause autism in children. Um, In addition to that, I know you and I have talked quite often about Ukraine, and we may do so today, but uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is uh, from that um, wing of the Democratic Party that is uh, opposed, I would say, to uh, American backing of Ukraine on the basis that they see the war as one in which uh, NATO's actions were a big contributory factor. His argument essentially is that Vladimir Putin uh, was valid in his feeling of being sort of surrounded by NATO and therefore by the United States by proxy. So that's obviously out of step with most Democrats, uh, to say the very least. The vaccine stuff is, is sort of pretty wacky stuff. And uh, that's the danger, essentially, uh, at least from a platform standpoint, of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Yes, and the possibility that he could run maybe as a third-party candidate. Yes. And you make the point in your piece, which is a really good piece, and something that I had overlooked, that despite the popular vote being overwhelmingly in Joe Biden's favor at the last presidential election had three states, Georgia, Arizona, and Wisconsin, gone the other way, Biden's margin of victory in each of those states was less than one percentage point, which really is alarming because it means that if somebody runs from a Democratic background against him, that one percentage point could disappear and the door could be open for a return to the White House for Donald Trump, who we assume, for the purposes of this conversation, is going to be the Republican candidate. Yeah, that's right. And you make a very important point, Eamon, right at the start of that question, where you talked about the possibility of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. running in some sort of third-party way. Right now, while he is contesting the Democratic nomination, he has notably declined to commit to endorsing Biden if Biden becomes the Democratic nominee. There isn't really a doubt that Biden will become the Democratic nominee. I mean, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is doing a bit better than people expected, 15 to 20 percent in some polls, but nobody really thinks he's going to beat Biden. But by virtue of saying that he won't endorse Biden, he seems to at least be winking at the possibility of an independent run as a third-party candidate. And just to really underscore the point that you made about those three states, the significance of those those three states is 
that had Trump won them rather than Biden, the electoral college, which is the real decider in American presidential elections, would have been tied uh, at one six nine, sorry, two six nine each, um, which would have pitched the whole thing into chaos. And there's a fair chance that Trump would have prevailed. The aggregate votes by which Biden won in those three states is about 44,000 votes across three states. So while a lot of people note accurately that Biden won the popular vote by more than 7 million votes, the actual margin where it mattered was very fine indeed. And that's the danger from an RFK Jr. candidacy or a Green Party candidacy or some other form of third party bid. Yes, and Georgia being one of those states. Mm. And of course, that's where Trump made this dramatic attempt to overturn the result in Georgia by asking a senior official there to find some votes for him. Just to go back to the present race, Trump now enjoys, I think, a 30% or maybe larger gap between him and other Republicans seeking the nomination. Among them, his former vice president, Mike Pence, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who's having a very bad time indeed. Chris Christie, former governor of New Jersey, former friend of Donald Trump, who actually, when Trump was rehearsing for his debate with Hillary Clinton in 2016, the part of Hillary Clinton was played by Chris Christie, and he is a formidable, interesting candidate in his own right, isn't he? He is. He is somebody who is uh, talented as a debater. He's a really pugnacious character. Christie himself, of course, at one point had been, uh, this is years ago, talked up as a presidential candidate himself. He'd run against Trump in 2016, but he never really went anywhere on that occasion. The interesting thing about Christie this time around, Eamon, is that uh, among known names, he's really the one who is most willing to attack Trump in a frontal, aggressive way. The other figures that you mentioned, people like uh, former Vice President Pence or the Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, are trying to sort of play, in my opinion, too clever by half game, where they don't really want to alienate Trump supporters, but they want to present themselves as a better alternative. And so far, there is very little evidence at all that that is working. You mentioned that Trump's up about 30 points. DeSantis has really plateaued, if not slightly eroded in the polls since launching his campaign less than two months ago. I mean, everybody else is low. Pence about 7%, Nikki Haley about 4%, Christie about 3%. So everybody else is a long way behind the Donald at this stage. Now, just before we leave the third party issue, Mm. it's remiss of me not to have mentioned that the Green Party may run a candidate, Cornell West, Mm. and that would be a third party candidate. And that is somebody who could also undermine Biden to some extent, even though Biden, as I understand it, you you may correct me, has been active and has done something about climate change and the green agenda. 
Yeah, he has. I mean, Biden has has put money into that in his legislation and has talked about the importance of it. It's a very important issue to young voters in particular. Obviously, the the Green Party, you know, that's that's its core interest. But the other thing that I would note about um, Cornell West, who I've known for several years at this stage, is uh, Cornell West, for people who are not aware of him because he's, he's not as well known outside of the United States, is a sort of renowned uh, black author and academic who's been around as a public figure for a long time. First time I ever met him, he and Chris Rock, the comedian, were speaking in uh, support of then-Senator Barack Obama when Obama yes. was running for the presidency. Cornell West later broke with Obama and was critical of him from the left. The point, though, is Cornell West in the United States is a fairly well-known figure, a, a very uh, impressive and sort of speaks with great flair. And there, he's not going to win the presidency, don't get me wrong, but by virtue of his uh, abilities and the, the size of his name, it's not inconceivable at all that he could get 1% or 2%. And as we were just discussing earlier, 1% or 2% can make all the difference in some of these crucial states. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now to go back to the Republican nomination process, Mike Pence, as you say, Chris Christie also, all the candidates, apart from Trump, as I understand it, have consented to be interviewed by Tucker Carlson, the former Fox News host, who himself is quoted by bookmakers over here now 
at about 40 or 50 to 1 to become the president and hasn't yet ruled out the possibility of running himself. Now, Tucker Carlson is a very, very powerful figure. He commands enormous audience and at Fox was paid an absolute fortune. He is against America's involvement in the war in Ukraine, for example. He sat down with Mike Pence last Friday night in Iowa, which is a very conservative state. I think it's where one of the early, if not the first, Republican primary will take place. And Mike Pence was booed. Can you tell us why? Yeah, he was booed on the Ukraine issue. This was a conference of religious conservatives, a group called the Family Leader in Iowa. It's a main man, a guy called Bob Vanderplatz, is quite an influential leader of evangelicals in Iowa. The point is they recruited Tucker Carlson to be the MC, for want of a better term, of this sort of cattle call for a number of the top candidates. And um, when Pence came on, of course, naturally enough, the uh, issue of Ukraine arose. Now, Pence said uh, a fairly, un- I think, uncontroversial view in Europe, but more controversial among the Tucker Carlson wing of the Republican Party, that he believed it is, and this is a quote, in the interests of the United States of America to continue to give the Ukrainian military the resources they need to repel the Russian invasion. Tucker Carlson objected to that, uh, complained that Pence seemed to be too worried that the Ukrainians, in Tucker's words, don't have enough American tanks, talked about the purported uh, decline of American cities, and Tucker Carlson then asked Pence, where's the concern for the United States in that? They went back and forth for some time, but the point, again, is that Pence's support for America backing up the Ukrainians was at least in that setting seemingly unpopular or unpopular enough to elicit boos. And the Tucker Carlson position, which is more isolationist, America first, etc., was one that seemed to be more simpatico with where this very conservative crowd was. Yes, and it should be said that Mike Pence has, to say the very least, a strong affinity with the evangelical Mm. wing of the Republican Party. Isn't that true? Yeah, very much so. And that's a a great point. I mean, Mike Pence is really rooted in that tradition. I mean, he has his whole own story of uh, faith, I suppose. I mean, he was brought up Catholic and then converted to evangelical. uh, Well, I think he describes it as non-denominational evangelical church, the one he attends. But the point is he is very prone to quoting scripture or to considering himself. Uh, I, I think he says a, a, his line is a Christian, a conservative, and a Republican in that order. So he's someone who puts his belief in God and in Christianity at the center of his political identity, and yet that still was not sufficient of a shield to protect him from this rather hostile response to his uh, position on Ukraine. Now, the evangelical vote is hugely important in the United States, particularly, well, it's a Republican vote generally. And there's something that I should ask you at this stage, Niall, the fondness the evangelical vote and people have Mm. 
for Donald Trump. Mm. Can there be on planet Earth a less appealing figure for someone of a religious conviction? Well, you would think not for obvious reasons. I mean, Mr. Trump's his propensity. Whole life. <laughs> his whole life. The, the fondness for crude insults, the preponderance for fairly lurid personal behavior, uh, abusive, verbal abusive uh, behavior. So where does that leave us? In 2016, Trump lost the Iowa caucuses to Ted Cruz, who had a stronger hold on those evangelicals. But as time went on, evangelicals warmed up to Trump for whatever reason. One of the reasons was a subject that you and I have spoken about before, which was Trump's promise to firstly win the election in 2016 and were he to do so to appoint very conservative justices to the Supreme Court yes. and throughout the judicial system, lower courts as well as the Supreme Court. That was one of the relatively few Trump promises that he actually delivered on. Three very conservative figures uh, appointed successfully to the Supreme Court, paving the way for the yes. striking down of Roe versus Wade, which had given a constitutional right to abortion, and a number of other conservative um, decisions. So, to really, I'm taking a long time to answer your point. The, the issue is evangelicals believe that Trump delivered on abortion. That's one big issue. And that has kept them fairly strongly in his corner, even as he faces challenges for the Republican nomination from people who you would think comport better with that tradition. Is there any truth in the suggestion that I picked up in an American newspaper which is called The Hill, <laughs> that Ted Cruz may be nominated to the Supreme Court, or was I having a bad dream? Uh, I don't know if you were having a bad dream or not. I, occasionally that comes up because Ted Cruz, prior to his political career, a very well-educated lawyer, uh, Ivy League, I, the, the, where exactly he went escapes me, but I think it was either Harvard or Yale. Uh, but I mean, I think, well, firstly, there's no vacancy uh, as of now. Yes. But uh, I mean, it would be very, uh, it'd be controversial because Cruz has a lot of people who dislike him for um, obvious political reasons. But, uh, you know, you, you never know. I mean, there is talk every so often about politicians being nominated for the Supreme Court should a vacancy arise. Right. Now, money, of course, is everything in this particular race to the White House. And Trump has a lot of it. Mm. How is the fundraising going? We know, for example, that DeSantis came into the race or before he came in, he was talked about as a major threat to, to Donald Trump because of his success in Florida, which is a swing state, and yet he won by 20 points mm -hmm. and was re-elected, as I understand it. They're raising vast sums of money, and Trump is raising more than enough, it seems. Yes, absolutely. We're at a point now where uh, a lot of the fundraising numbers have just recently come out covering the second quarter of this year. Trump uh, and the political political action committee associated with his campaign took in $35 million in that second quarter alone. Obviously, they're spending money as well, but as of the end of June, they had $22.5 million in the bank. Um, as for DeSantis, 
he isn't doing badly in terms of the money raised. His campaign specifically raised about $20 million. The problem for DeSantis is he's also spending money rather quickly. Uh, He has spent in that period almost $8 million. And in fact, just at the weekend, we had reports that confirmed by the DeSantis campaign that he had laid off a few uh, mid-ranking members of staff. Now, they didn't give a specific reason, but it is assumed to be that he's burning through his cash too quickly and therefore he needs to retrench in some fashion. Yes, and we've talked before to you, Niall, about this incredible video he released, Mm. which was homophobic, but worse, if if that's, you know, and that Mm. is possible. It was really, truly bizarre and rather sinister. Yeah, it was a very strange video that uh, his campaign or an associated account had retweeted. And to make a long story short, the point that it was making was itself uh, rather debatable. It was trying to paint Donald Trump as, from DeSantis's conservative perspective, too soft on LGBT issues. Yes. But it moved from a sort of uh, standard political ad exerting some comments that Trump had made to this really weird uh, sort of super macho thing with images of DeSantis being interspersed with sort of very muscular men. It was a really, really weird video. The implication was quite clearly Donald Trump is too soft on the gays, like that was, and, and trans, transgender people. Yeah. That was clearly the message of it, but in quite a, a toxic way. Now there is, of course, the problems the former president Donald Trump has with the special prosecutor Jack Smith, who has indicted him for a criminal offence of espionage with the classified documents matter that he kept in Mar-a-Lago, but left them lying around where anyone could find them. Certainly anyone who was looking for them could find them. And the prosecutor has suggested, Smith, that this trial should take place in December. Trump is pushing back against that. There is also another matter, legal, and I think in many people's opinion, it's a slam dunk where we have heard the tape or many people would have heard the tape where he's asking the man in Georgia who is in charge of counting the votes, Mm. Raffensperger is his name, to find him enough votes to win Georgia, which, given what we now know, Georgia was, was critical. He's appealing now to Georgia's highest court to prevent the district attorney who's investigating his actions in the wake of the 2020 election from prosecuting him and to throw out a special grand jury report that is part of the inquiry. This seems the most obvious chance he has of being found guilty of interfering with the election result. Yes, I would agree with that. The call that you alluded to that Trump made while still present to Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State in Georgia, was uh, sinister, to put it mildly, this demand that Raffensperger find exactly the number of votes that would have been required. Yes, many people compared it to a, a mafia boss. 
Yeah, it was very Tony Soprano-ish in yes. its sort of tone and approach and threatening Raffensperger with all sorts of vague but ominous consequences if he didn't comply. It was a Republican who'd voted for Trump. That's right. And then subsequently did write in his book that he believed that he was being threatened by the then sitting president when that call was made to him. Uh, the uh, district attorney is Fanny Willis, a uh, pretty uh, fierce, serious, no-nonsense customer in Georgia. And, you know, we don't, without getting too deep into the legal minutiae of it all, Eamon, it's really an attempt by the Trump lawyers to sort of derail this case, uh, which seems unlikely to work because there has been a lot of evidence heard in the Georgia case Fanny Willis has suggested that she will make a charging decision. In other words, she'll decide whether to bring criminal charges or not before mid-August. So it's at an advanced stage. It would seem to me on the surface unlikely that the Trump lawyer's plea would be upheld. But I do think that maybe the significance of them uh, uh, making this effort at all is that it underscores that they're scared of that particular probe, and rightly so, in my opinion. In that particular instance, would that go ultimately to the Supreme Court? Um, I Well, let me think about this. I don't think it would because it is a state case. One of the matters of importance of state cases, it, it, sorry, just to be clear, there are state Supreme Courts and Trump's legal team yes. has appealed to the Georgia Supreme Court, which is different from the one that we all think of, of the federal yes. Supreme Court. Um, but just, you, you've raised uh, sort of um, almost accidentally, if I may say so, a very important point, which is that... <laughs> it, would be Trump, it would be accidental. <laughs> well, if Trump is elected again, he can, in federal cases stop the Department of Justice from investigating and may be able to pardon himself. That is not the case with state-level courts. And so if he were convicted in Georgia, even if he subsequently won the 2024 election, he, in almost all legal experts' eyes, could not pardon himself because it's a state decision over which the president cannot issue a pardon. Right. Just a final question, Niall. There is a feeling, or more than a feeling, a belief in Europe now that if Donald Trump were to go into the White House again as president after the 2024 presidential election, that everything that's happening, most notably Ukraine, but also the sort of unity that Joe Biden has successfully achieved among the NATO members and in Europe, that almost everything is lost and that it will be a catastrophe for the Western world. We're not reading the same script as many tens of millions of the American people who support Donald Trump are, are we? No, that's right. I mean, Donald Trump, when he's tested in a head-to-head race against Joe Biden is pretty much level. Uh, I mean, some, you know, Biden typically has a lead of one or two points, but I mean, my goodness, you wouldn't want to rely at this stage 16 months out on being one or two points up, especially given Trump's propensity to slightly outperform what the polls say. And Biden's, 
But sorry, sorry to interrupt you now. Biden's evident frailty, mm. which will doubtless be highlighted time and time again in mm. the election period. Yes, that's a big problem. And it's a problem that transcends party lines to some degree. Joe Biden, if he won a second term and served to its conclusion, would be 86 by the time he left office. There are already incontrovertible signs of frailty, and I'll put it no stronger than yes. that. But it is a bigger issue than just you know a Republican talking point. It's something that concerns Democrats and unaligned voters too. A final thought, Niall. In Europe, generally, he would be regarded you know, as a disaster, Trump. But the Biden question, is it exercising people who we might consider to be of a normal sensibility in Washington about this outcome in November 2024 when we get a new president? There are Americans, I'm sure, who share the European concerns that Trump would return to the White House and what that might mean for the United States of America. Yeah, there absolutely are. I mean, 50% of the country more or less takes that view and 50% of the country more or less takes the pro-Trump view. But there are certainly people who look at January the 6th, look at Trump's conduct in relation to the Department of Justice here, look at the fact that he continues to traffic in these fictions about the election being yes. stolen and see a very gloomy picture were he to become president of the United States again, which, as I say, is at worst a 50-50 shot at this point. Okay, thanks for cheering us up now. <laughs> <laughs> We're very grateful to Nat Stanich, who is Associate Editor of The Hill, and to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.